We come to the fifth verse. In verses 3, 4, and 5, they are a unit. 3, 4, 5. And we've been thinking about each line and what it means for us, for as a church, thanking God and praying always with joy. Now we come to verse 5. So let me read verse 3 and 4 and 5 for us from LSB. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Verse 5. Because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. NAS, I put NAS, and it translates it in this way. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That is why I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Because of your participation, I am able to give thankful prayer with joy in every prayer for you all because of this. And finally, in verse 5, Apostle Paul reveals to us the cause of his thanksgiving to God and the cause of his constant prayer for the Philippians is the Word of God. Amen. Next two weeks, because that is the end of the year and the Christmas season, I don't know what I am going to talk about. But for now, with verse 5 today, I will pause here today after this. And January, the first week of January, whatever God puts into my heart, I will preach. And I don't know when, but I will resume the Philippians sometime uh, early next year. Now I want to focus on one word today that is the fellowship. Word fellowship according to LSB but participation according to NAS. That word is a very well-known word in Greek. Probably all of us Know that word. That word is koinonia. Koinonia. That is a common word that people use in everyday terms. That is fellowship. So I've noticed that word when I was a uh, college student. When I entered into the fellowship hall. Because that fellowship hall had that sign that said koinonia. And I didn't know what that was. But koinonia was referring to the fellowship. And they made that fellowship hall named after this Greek language, the Greek word, koinonia. And I trust that you know that word. So verse 3, 4, 5, we've been talking about Paul's mind, where he's coming from. But deep inside, he had his fellowship with the Philippians in mind as he was giving thanks to God and as he was praying for them. 
So you look up that word, and there are many words that English translations would use to translate that word. Partnership, ESV. Fellowship, King James, um, King James and LSB. Partnership, fellowship. And my favorite word is NAS's translation of that word, participation. So when you look up that word in dictionary, this is what that word means. Association, communion, fellowship, close relationship, generosity, participation, or sharing. But I will use those terms interchangeably today. But once again, my favorite word is participation because it gives more active sense to what the Philippians were doing for and with Apostle Paul. They were not simply in partnership with Paul, giving certain assistance to him. Or it's not simply fellowship because fellowship, that word, we do not use that word um, uh, uh, anymore. It has many different connotations. So it is good for us to think about Paul, from Paul's perspective, when he thought about the Philippian church, they were actively participating in the gospel ministry with and for Apostle Paul. And that gave him this opportunity to write this letter, giving thanks to God and praying for all of them with joy. Why? Because that church participated in the ministry. So today's title would be Your Participation in the Gospel, directly coming out from that NAS translation. I think it is good for us. At the end of the year, we could assess our own standing before our God. It's easy to assess anybody else. It's easy for you to assess me. You could easy for you to assess the session or something like the leadership. But as a Christian, you must examine your own hearts, where you stand, things like that. Why? Not to condemn us, but to improve upon our own Christian walk with God. It is essential for us to do that. So think of that as you listen to uh, today's message. Apostle Paul didn't say, in view of your participation in my ministry, as you have noticed, his logic is that your fellowship, participation, partnership, whichever word that you want to use, that he's emphasizing the Philippian church was participating in the gospel. He could have said, well, you participated in my ministry. You have given money to my ministry. You have given assistance to my ministry. But when you think about Paul, and all that you know about Paul, he is, once again, spirit-filled man. And in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, you have participated in the gospel. So you have to think about that. Why he would say that? He could have said, once again, ministry, whatever else. But when you think about it, in this way, when you define their relationship or participation 
through the logic of the gospel, then God comes to the center. You do not want to define relationship in the church through what you do for me and I will do, do it for you. The human term. What Apostle Paul is trying to do is to frame it, their relationship, not simply as I love you, you love me. But you are participating in the gospel. I am participating in the gospel. There's objective reality. And as you participate in the gospel, as I participate in the gospel, we have this fellowship with each other. We have this partnership with each other. How important that is. So one scholar says this. He wants to emphasize, Paul wants to emphasize, that they share common faith in the gospel. Their faith in the gospel brought them into mutual participation in the benefits of the gospel. You probably understand where this is headed. The link between Paul and the Philippian church was an intimate one. He founded a church. We have seen it, Acts 16. And for about 10 years, they've been actively supporting Paul's ministry after he left the church because he was an evangelist. But Paul says, you participate in the gospel. You take out the gospel, the link between Paul and the Philippian church will fall apart. Why? Because when you think about it, there are many societies or associations that you could be part of in the world. Whatever the purpose is, whatever that those groups, organizations are trying to do, they are the fellowship under the headship of First Adam, however good it might be. When you come to the church, only the church of Jesus Christ is the new humanity formed under the headship of the second Adam. So when you emphasize that your fellowship in the gospel, it is emphasizing before we do anything together as partners, before we participate in any activity, he's affirming you have participated in the transforming reality of the gospel. Only after you come through the gospel that we could have this new humanity under the headship of Christ, with the same mind, with the same vision, with the same purpose. How important this is for everyday life, Christian life. You probably have seen it too in churches. When you put the activities or the ministries first, what happens? You have to man the ship. So whoever's available, you beg them to serve or do the ministry. They may not have that gospel reality. They are not born-again Christians. But because we have the ministry, we ask people to join the choir, go to missions, teach at Sunday schools. Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. Our fellowship is that you participate in the gospel. God transforms you, your old self. You put away your old self. By the grace of God, you are justified and being sanctified. 
then we have that partnership. So as he says this, because of your fellowship in the gospel, glory of God and enjoying Him forever becomes the center. It becomes the all-consuming vision for them. This protects both parties. If you do not have this vision or this view that you are participating in the gospel and I am participating in the gospel, if it becomes I scratch your bag, you scratch my bag, the human relationships, inevitably, it will fall apart. Inevitably, you will become disappointed. No matter how well you try to do, how careful you are, we are all sinners. So you ask someone, can you please do this? Initially, he or she could do that because they feel bad. They want to help out. But if you do not have that participation in the gospel, there's no engine. There's no power behind it. So it is really, it destroys the church. So I like the way he put, I don't don't have to say, I like, from God's divine wisdom, he says, I am so thankful for you, Philippian church. Because you are participating in the gospel. And I am participating in that gospel. You are not participating so much in my own ministry. St. Paul's ministry. Like some you know, famous people's ministry. But you are participating in the gospel. I am participating in the gospel. So in the sense that I am thankful for you. But at the same time you are doing that service to God. For the glory of God. So I don't have to beg you. I don't have to thank you. Yes, I do thank you. But I don't have to thank you that you give to the church. No, because you are giving it to the Lord. There is that built-in protection. So participation in the gospel. Then comes the partnership for the gospel. Make sense? And that's the ministry of the church. How I wish, how we wish that happens all the time everywhere in our church. Everybody walks walking through the door will find Christ as their Savior. Where they, they will experience the gospel joy. And the natural response will be, what can I do for Christ? How can I serve Him who saved me, who gave Himself up for me? How can I serve Him better? And the love of God, love of Christ, will compel you to serve, as we have seen from 2 Corinthians 5. Now, what we have to do then is to search out what that fellowship, koinonia, how that word is used in the book of Philippians. How did they participate in the gospel? How did they serve Christ together with the with Paul. And I wouldn't notice this until you read about this from a commentary because English translation does not translate that koinonia always as fellowship or participation. So Frank Thielman says Paul uses about six times the word koinonia or a variation of that word in the book of Philippians. So he has some references. I looked it up. So the English translation of the koinonia would be participation 
or partakers of grace, or fellowship of the Spirit, or fellowship of His sufferings, or share with me in my affliction, Philippians 4.14, or share with me that three word is one Greek word that has koinonia in it, but not koinonia, but something else as prefix. Share with me in the matter of giving and receiving. So what I want to do in remaining uh, minutes would to give you those instances. How did they, the Philippians, participate in the gospel? What are some of the ways that you, as you're sitting there, you could assess your own self today at the end of the year? Have I participated in the gospel? That's the first question. The second question is, how did I participate in the gospel? How can you build up the church of Jesus Christ as you participate, koinonia, in the gospel? There are a few of them, and I'm going to use Walter Hansen's commentary. A few of them. Five ways that you could participate in the gospel, but I added one, my own. So it will be six. First one would be by actively participating in the public worship of God. That's my first point. You know, this pandemic is not over. As we have said last couple of weeks, no matter how careful you are, sometimes it finds you. But as a pastor of this church, I want to appeal to you that the way in which you could build up this church could be, I've never condemned anyone for the fear of virus not coming to church. I've never done that in the past two years. But if it is relatively easier for you to come out to worship, I will ask you to do so. It, it builds up the church. If someone asks me, what sets apart Orthodox Presbyterian Church from any other churches? I would say one thing. One thing comes to my mind. As a Westminster grad, I would say Christian Sabbath keeping. That is the strength and the characteristic of OPC. Not that any other churches or denominations or bodies of Christians have low view of Sunday worship. But if I have to tell you one thing from studying OP church, just by reading books and the history, they took more than anybody else. I say this as an encouragement more than any other Christian bodies, Sabbath-keeping seriously. This sets OP apart from any other denominations. But this church is that. So do participate actively in the public worship of God. That's the first point, not my point. Second thing is this, from the commentary. Through your prayers in Paul's affliction, for other people. concept comes from Philippians 1.19, where he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For Paul, 
prayer of the Philippians for him was essential to the point where he could say, Your prayers will deliver me. Your prayers will unlock that door for me. I need to get out. I want to get out. But what he's saying is, Oh, you know, it's not some wishful thinking. I hope your prayer works. But he says, This will turn out for my deliverance, physical and spiritual, through your prayers. How can you, koinonia, fellowship, participate in building up your church, this church? Through your prayers. That's the second point. Third is this. This was not immediately clear. But he says this. By their, that's Christians, Philippians, by their own suffering for their faith in Christ in the face of opposition. Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Where he says, I will, Paul, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. How can you build up this church? Not simply by doing things, but by suffering well for Christ and for his sake. Right. It's a, it's a great encouragement for us to hear about someone who's going through some tragedy, some hardships, and we see them. We pay attention to them. And as they stand firm in the gospel, we are encouraged, right? That's how we solve one another. So first by Actively participating in the public worship of God. That's how you help this church. Second, through your prayers. Do pray. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the church. Pray for one another. Third, by suffering well. Fourth, by their radiant witness. Gospel witness. Philippians 2.15 where he says... Among whom, this crooked generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Right. That's something that is not depend upon the circumstance. Philippians were in crooked and perverse generation. But Paul's mind wanted to see them as lights in that dark world. By radiant witness, that theologian says... That's how you build up the church of Jesus Christ. Fifth one would be by the mission of Epaphroditus on their behalf to care for Paul's needs while in prison. Philippians 2.25 and as we will see when the time comes they sent a servant for Paul. With him money, some of the things that he needed but Epaphroditus that servant's presence, physical presence, encouraged Paul in prison. So we could think about and apply that in our lives. Fifth one, by sending or going as an A Epaphroditus. And the sixth one, the final one, would be giving. That's right. 
in Philippians 4, 10 through 18, I'm not going to read the whole thing, he talks about how he is thankful for their financial giving for Paul. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's right. So we'll pause. That we know, right? We, we all know how to serve. And by examining some of the ways in which they served God or participated in the gospel or helped Paul tangibly, those are, they, those are the ways in which they did it and we could obviously learn from them. Many things that I've talked about. Why don't you, when you go home, think about that. This is not, there really is no point for us to think about, wow, that's great. Philippians, they did that for Paul and the gospel. Awesome. What about us? This is the church and we all have joyful duty and obligation to serve and build up his church. And we could obviously more than that. But what are some of the ways in which you could improve your score? How would you score yourself? What grade would you give to yourself? For about five minutes, next five minutes, before we could be done, I'm going to talk about an illustration that I've heard some 20 years ago. You've been hearing me for I don't know how many years now. I don't use illustrations often. But people say, pastors say, if you preach for about three to four years, you run out of things to say. Then you will look up some of the illustrations and there are books for that. I've never used it. I just don't like that. But there is a illustration that I've heard when I was in college sitting in Austin Baptist Church. That pastor said, I don't remember anything that he said for two years that I was in that church. But I remember that illustration. It was that good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that next five, five minutes or so. I don't know the details. I didn't look up in the Google, whatever. So I'm just going to try to say it. And then hopefully it will make sense for all of us. There was a small village somewhere in Europe, very poor. But the mayor came. And mayor had a vision. And uh, he wanted to build and help this poor village. And he said, we are going to... Uh, make wines. So it's going to be wine village. So next few years he did what he could do and the, church, uh, the, the town was booming. Uh, you know, everybody became rich and, and it was a wine selling district. Once again, I don't know if it's true. I don't know where this is from. The story is good and has a good implication for us. So toward the end of his tenure, the villagers got together and said, how are we going to thank this man who gave us this job and economy, the wealth? So somebody said, why don't we give our best wine, each person, each household? And they set up in the town square this huge glass jar, wine jar, whatever. And they said, each family come and give your best wine. 
pour your pour in your best wine. So at the end of the day, he could he he could take it home and he could resell it whatever for the whatever value. And they said so. After a few days collecting it, and it was covered with some kind of wrapping or something. And when the time came, they removed the veil. And you probably have heard this illustration before. They all found that big bottle jar full of water. The moral of the story is that each villager said to himself or herself, "If I pour my water instead of my best wine, who would notice? Everybody else is going to pour their own wine. I'm." You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste my wine. I'm thankful for him, but human greed says I'm just going to put, I don't know, a gallon of water instead of best wine. What ended up happening is that everyone, every villager in that town, once again, I don't think it's true, but it was just everybody was pouring water. What have what have I said today? We all know, but. This church needs everyone's wine. If you have, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Alarm. Five minutes. This church, whatever your background is, if you have big ministry going on, if you have eight hundred people, only five hundred people show up. You will not notice, which is my experience. Churches just keep on moving on. It's just moving forward. People will always come. People will always visit. People who will stay will stay. Will leave will leave. But the ministry will go on. That's a big church. For a church like this, there are two types of small churches. One is a pastor trying to revive the church. A pastor trying to gain or uh, or. Make the church grow. One type of small church. You know what happens to that kind of church? That could be the second type of small church. Numbers may be small, but they come together with a common goal of whatever it is: planting the church, whatever it is, the mission-driven church. We are a small church. And it is your choice at the end of this year whether you want to make that type A church small and leadership trying to make it happen. Soon it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be um, tiresome. You're gonna tire that person out. It's a real danger. Second type of small church would be really doesn't matter the size. All of that we have talked about from the word. This is not some kind of ten ways to grow the church. Koinonia from the Philippians by coming and actively participating in the public worship of God. If we have fifty people, imagine fifty people doing that. Prayer. Imagine fifty people joining prayer meeting. Imagine. People, fifty people standing in their own terms and fighting for Christ against the face of opposition. Radiant witness, witnessing for Christ, whatever the situation. Sending people back and forth like Epaphroditus in whatever situation to help and to aid. Giving 
regular financial support for Paul. Right? So, if I were to have to choose, I would choose the second small church. That is not a small church. That church is a mighty church. If you could do that wholeheartedly, that, that is a mighty church for Christ. That's the reality, isn't it, for our church? I pray that God will give you grace. And by the grace of God, since God has put us into this church, may we do so. May we go forth doing all these things in participating in the gospel that saved me and for his glory. And may God build you up Build this church up and give us blessings. That's my prayer. Let's pray.